says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted, but the rich in that he's made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. This evening, for just a moment, I want you to look at triumphing in trials. Triumphing in trials. Here in James chapter 1, we're told about trials to come, how we are to face those trials. I told you last week there are five keys to enduring your trials. Uh, and uh, the first step uh, to enduring your trial is found in verse 2, and that is counting it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's having a joyful attitude. Our attitude ought not be, why is this happening to me? The question should be, why wouldn't it be happening to me? Of all people in the world, who's experienced the grace of God, God's own, ought to be able to face trials and tribulations like nobody else in the world. A man that's born of woman is few days and full of trouble. You mark it down, you will face trials. Jesus said in this life, in this world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You've got hope in the midst of your trials, whereas the rest of the world doesn't. They are miserable. They have no one to lean upon and nowhere to draw their strength from. However, the child of God does. So we ought not be asking the question, uh, why, why is this happening to me? And we ought not be down in the dumps over what we face. As a matter of fact, a joyful attitude will help pull you through. You ought to count it as all joy. And then the second thing we looked at last week that I mentioned is in verse 3 about having patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. And that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. And everyone wants hope, but hope begins with tribulation. People don't want to face hard times and trials. But that's what works patience and experience and that's what yields hope in the end. If you would have hope to endure and to make it in this life, you must face trials. That is ordained of God. 
And so uh, the second thing we find is an understanding mind. You need to understand who you are and why you're facing what you're facing if you would endure your trials. You would also find in verse 4 a submissive will for we are to yield to God's authority and let patience have her perfect work. Uh, You're to have a submissive will. Jesus had a submissive will. He said, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, whatever I face in this life, whatever your will is for me, I'll face it and I'll endure it by your grace and for your glory. That ought to be our attitude. In verses 5 through 8, we talked about having a believing heart. You are to believe God for some things. If you lack wisdom, believe God and ask him. Why would you ask if you didn't believe he'd give it to you? Why would you pray? If you didn't have an expectation to follow, the whole purpose of prayer is expecting God to answer you. Otherwise, there'd be no point in asking. If you know that you're going to hear nothing when you pray, you won't waste your time praying. However, the scriptures tell us we have a God that heareth prayer. That's why we pray. Jesus said his father's house was to be called a house of prayer where you could come and talk to God and him talk to you. If there was no hope of that, then why did we get together tonight? You see, there is hope and there is an expectation and we are to have a believing heart when we come together. It'll help you endure your trials. As you look further in verse 6, he says, Ask in faith, not waver, for in verse 7, a Uh, A man that wavers is not going to receive what he's asking for. And then by verse 8, he's he's called a double-minded man. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Why? Because he doesn't know where to stand. At one moment, he's on cloud nine. But as soon as a trial comes... Boy, he's up and down. He's like a yo-yo. It's a roller coaster ride with him. He's double-minded. And according to this text, a double-minded man is really an unbeliever. He's put on the facade of being a, a believer in Jesus Christ. But the truth is, he doesn't believe. That's the reason why he's double-minded. He's so, so up and down. He has no established faith. His faith is based upon feelings circumstances when things are going his way oh boy it's okay but when he faces trials he doesn't count it all joy he's double-minded and he's up and down that's really the root this is the test of genuine faith how firm is your foundation what kind of faith do you have the faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted if your faith cannot be tested You better not trust it because what is tested will prove out in the end. And the Lord lets none go without testings, trials, provings, sufferings, griefs, sorrows. We all must face that. We are going to face heartaches and trials and that will prove some things in our lives. And we'll look at that here in just a moment. Lastly, I told you uh, last week that the last thing that would help you endure your trial is in verses 9 through 11, and that's a humble spirit. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. So if we would have help to endure our trial, 
it's going to be by a humble spirit. So let's look at a few of these things tonight. In verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. The Greek word here for count, uh, what it does is it, it lets us know that there is a challenge involved because this word puts forth a challenge to count it all joy. Whenever you face insurmountable circumstances, do you count it a joy? to be faced with those things. When you don't know what the answer is, when you feel pressed out of measure, when you're distressed, when you're perplexed, when you have no answer for what you're facing, do you count it a joy? This is what James says we are to do. Count it all joy. The the word is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not something that you just ought to do. This is a command. To do, count up your trials as joy. Boy, this is a word for me this evening, I tell you. The things that I face on a daily basis, more times than not, I do not count as a joy. I count it as a burden, as a grief, as a heartache most of the time. But in reality, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, it ought to be a joy to you. And here's why. Because Jesus endured the cross. And it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus faced the cross, the burden of your sin and mine to make a propitiation for our sin, that God in heaven would be satisfied Jesus looked beyond the cross and for joy he endured those things because he saw you and me and that was his reward. Do you have a reward ahead of you for what you're facing in life? Sure you do. You say, what is that joy? Look in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried. Not not if, when. You're going to be tried. When he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life. What do you have ahead of you? The crown of life. That's what's ahead. You don't have a crown. You have the crown. Look at that. That's a definite article. It's letting you know that there is something ahead for you. Look beyond where you are right now. There is a crown ahead. Keep pressing on, weary pilgrim. You're going to make it. You will make it. You have a crown ahead of you. You need to count it all joy. If you are not tested, you'll not have a crown. God had one son without sin. That's Jesus Christ. But he has no sons without suffering. Jesus suffered. Say, where is that? That You'll find that in Hebrews in chapter 5. It says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Jesus suffered. If God spared not his own son, but he suffered... 
Why would we think that we would escape this life unscathed and unsuffering? Oftentimes you have hard decisions to make. Sometimes it'll seem nobody will stand with you and you're going to have to make a hard decision. Jesus made hard decisions and he understands. He sympathizes. Sometimes we face family problems that we don't know how to face. How do we do that? Jesus did that. His own brothers didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. But he did what his father gave him to do regardless. He understands. He suffered in the flesh. He suffered mental anguish. He suffered physically. He suffered spiritually. His soul in exchange for ours. He understands all the way around what you're facing. You see, God has allowed you to suffer in this life through some hard situations so that you would understand that Jesus knows exactly where you are. And therefore, since you do have someone who understands, you ought to count it all joy. Count it a joy because God allowed his son to endure uh, what you are currently enduring. Count it a joy. That somebody understands, and it's not just somebody, but it's the Son of God, the one who knows you better than you know yourself, the one who paid your sin debt, the one who loved you when you were unlovable, the one who came for you when nobody else would, the one who gave his life for you when you didn't deserve it, the one who cares for you deeply. He understands where you are. If you've had to bid goodbye to friends and family, count it a joy. If you have had to go against the grain of all that you've ever been taught, count it a joy. Paul said that. Paul understood that. James is the one writing this here. James was a half-brother of Jesus. I'll tell you what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, it said he appeared to James. He's mentioned first. Why is that? Because that was Jesus' half-brother. It was James' mother was Mary. And Jesus appeared to him. James grew up in the house with Jesus, his older brother, and he didn't even believe in him, that he was the Son of God. Until after he resurrected from the dead, Jesus appears to James, and look at how James addresses himself in verse 1. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word servant means? It means a slave. I'm a bond slave to him. I don't have any more rights. I'm indebted to him. He saved me from my sin. I grew up in the house with him. He was my older brother. He looked like a regular man. And yet I can say firsthand, I never saw him do wrong. I never saw him disobey mama. I never saw him disobey my daddy, Joseph. I never heard him say a cross word to them. I, sir, I watched him. I went over his life with a fine-tooth comb. 
and he is everything he ever said he was. I heard him preach. I didn't believe it. I thought he was uh, in madness at times because at one point in time, James was outside of where Jesus was preaching with Mary, and James was with his brothers and sisters, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, your mother and your brethren are calling for you because they said he's beside himself. Jesus' response was opening up his hands to those listening. And he said, who's my mother and my brethren and my sisters but those that do the will of God? Those are my brothers and my sisters, not who was born to me in the flesh, but those who obey and serve God. They're my family. And I believe that's still the same way today. I count the church above my physical family. I've chosen the church over my physical family time and time again. Family reunions wanted to be fallen on Sunday. I've never gone. Do you know what they did when I was a kid? They changed it to Saturday so that we could all make it. And then we started making it. I have chosen... I've been taught that from a child. That's a conviction of mine. I'm not letting anybody change my mind on that. Jesus said, my family is the ones that obey God. I believe that's still right. James says he's a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He appeared to me. He saved me. He changed my life. He's all he ever said he was. And more to me. I am who I am this day because of him. I don't have any rights. I don't have any say over my life. He tells me what to do, and that's what I do. This is the same James who's writing, Brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. James here is saying that this term that he uses means to be a leader in something, to have authority over to consider or to count. This is the way you're to treat your trial. You're to let your trial have authority over you and submit yourself to it and say, whatever God wants, whatever makes him happy, I'm serving him anyway. Job said the same, did he not? Job said, I was born naked, I returned that way. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever the Lord sees fit, let him do what seemeth him best. I'll serve him till my dying breath. He gave me breath. He can take it if he wants to. Thank God for what I've got this day. If I lose all my health, if I lose everything dear to me, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll serve him anyway. If he wants to slay me, let him do it. I'll serve him anyway. And the world stands back and says, that's foolish. But God says... That's exactly what I wanted from you. Have you forgotten you're a stranger and a pilgrim in this world? The world may say, we don't have time for you, and may look down on you and say all manner of things about you evil for his name's sake. But one blessed day when you stand in front of him, the Lord will put his arm around you and say, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. And I'm not ashamed to be called your brother. And you'll be glad on that day 
that he uh, saved your soul and, and led you the way that he did, even if nobody else understood it. You'd be better off standing for truth and right and standing for God now and be sorry, and, and, than to be sorry later. You don't want to stand one day being ashamed before him, do you? I tell you, whatever the Lord has convicted you of, whatever he's dealt with you about, that's what you better obey and do. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. But the last part of that verse says, but if we deny him, he will also deny us. So suffering and denial of that go hand in hand. The words here, all joy, stand at the beginning of the sentence in the Greek. And here's the reason why. This is the emphatic position. It means being joyful is to be emphasized above everything. We're to have joy in the highest degree. As, as bad as things may get in our life, God wants you to be thankful. He wants you to be joyful, even in hard circumstances and situations. He'll give you strength to endure. He'll let you have what you need to survive. And here's the way Spurgeon put it. He said, the trials of Christian life you may find heavy, but you will always find grace makes the burden light. Joy will help you endure whatever you have to endure. Because as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord gives you strength. If you would have strength in the Lord, be joyful. Jesus said, whenever they persecute you uh, and do all manner of evil against you for my name's sake, in Luke 6, he said, then leap for joy. I don't find many people jumping up and down and leaping for joy when they face hardships. I remember one time uh, in school, I had a best friend. And uh, I started following after the Lord. My friends all left and I didn't have any anymore. You may be facing a time in life where you don't have any friends or very many at all. Which counted all joy. I can say looking back on this end of life, I'm better off not having those kind of friends. But it sure wasn't easy at the time. You may be facing family circumstances to make hard decisions or maybe someone else has made decisions that's brought you heartaches and you don't understand it and you would that you could change the situation. Counted all joy, brethren. When you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptation here doesn't mean tempted to do evil. It's the word for trials and testings. Proving ground, if you would. There's various kinds. That's what diverse means. There's all kinds of ways to be tested. Not just one or two. A man who many believe was the greatest president and a good example that we still teach about today faced hardships. Now I want you to think about this man for just a moment. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their house and he had to go to work. When he was nine years old, 
his mother died. He lost a job as a store clerk when he was 20 years old. When he wanted to go to law school, he didn't have the education. At age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. Three years later, his business partner died, and the result was the debt that he had taken on, he had to repay, and it took him years to repay it. When he was 28 years old, after dating a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. On his third try, he was elected to Congress at the age of 37, but then he failed to get reelected in his next term. His son died when he was four years old. When, his, uh, when the man was 45, he ran for Senate, and he lost. At age 47, he ran for the, fr the vice presidency of the United States, and he lost. And at the age of 51, he was elected president of the United States of America. That man you and I know as Abraham Lincoln, a man who learned to face discouragement and go beyond all opposition and odds. Did you know that this man, in the midst of the Civil War, in the year 1863, he instituted a holiday you and I celebrate to this day. And that day we call Thanksgiving Day. This man who faced circumstances that were out of his control, heartbreak after heartbreak, attempt after attempt, and nothing seemed to be going his way. Finally, as the Lord saw fit, he was elected president after many, many trials. He didn't lay down. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He kept pressing on through all his discouragements. And in the midst of all of that, when he was president, in the midst of a civil war, our nation, brothers, killing brothers, Abraham Lincoln stands and says, I want to lead you to be thankful. I want to lead you to be thankful to God for what we do have. This was in the middle of bloodshed. It was in the middle of dire circumstances in our nation. And this man said, I've lived through hard days. Be thankful and God will pull you through. And that's exactly what happened in our nation. You may not understand where you are, but be thankful. Count it all joy. Say, thank you, Lord, for letting me go through it. Of all people, I ought to be able to go through it with grace that this world will look at me and say, I don't understand how you're here. How are you still living? How do you have your sanity? How can you make it through all of this to where you can testify and say, only by the grace of God am I here today. Abraham Lincoln was such an example. When you rejoice in the time of your trial, it's one of your greatest opportunities to show this world the power of Jesus Christ in your life. To the rest of the world, he's nothing more than a name. Your profession is nothing more to them than a bunch of words. But whenever they watch, 
You endure things that they themselves could not endure and you come out glad and thankful in the midst of it and on the other side of it and raising your head and your hand and saying thanks be to God. He saved my soul and I've not been left alone. I've got somebody with me and they watch that. Then it's more than a profession. They have to agree you've got something that I don't have and I want what you've got. The reason why people don't want to be saved is because they don't see nothing worth saving. They don't see anybody who can save. They don't see in us as believers a happy heart and in knowing that your joy uh, of the Lord is your strength and that your sins are gone. And because of all of that, I've got joy down in my soul. Joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness depends upon your circumstances, and that can change many times in one day's time. But joy, Jesus said, my joy I give unto you, and no man taketh your joy from you. You say, what about salvation? You can't lose that. Peter said, it's reserved in heaven for you. How can I lose something I don't even have possession of? Uh, what I've got is what his word, his promise he's given me, and it's been sealed by the Holy Ghost in me, and it's being reserved in heaven for me, so I've got to go there to get it. It's not in my possession. However, he said, your joy uh, no man taketh from you. So if you've lost your joy, you gave it somewhere. You see, salvation, God said, I'm watching over, but joy I'm leaving into your keeping. That's why we're to count it all joy when we go into hard times. Why do we face those things? to display God's power in our life in this generation. The world understands trials and problems, but when they see you having peace in the midst of it, when they see you having joy in the Lord in spite of all your trials, they take notice of that and they say that there is something about them that's different and I want to know what that is. That is the way the gospel gets a hook in people is not just a word of testimony, but it's a life of testimony. They want to see a living testimony to the grace of God. That's the reason why we ought to count it all joy. Trials come to see what you're made of. They come to improve your spirituality. They come as a result of being thankful to God. Trials, as we're told here in verse 6, uh, is likened unto a wave of the sea, a wind that tosses to and fro. You'll find that in verse 6. Uh, trials are compared to that. And the reason why God allows those trials to come your way is not to shatter you and to break you down, but the reason that he lets contrary winds come is so that you can mount up with wings as eagles, so that you can soar. Uh, did you know that an eagle is the only bird that we know of that'll fly into the eye of a hurricane? Why? Because the winds of adversity cause him to lift higher, and he flies above the storm, and he'll pierce right through it as well. It's the same reason why God's allowed you 
to have trials in this life. Count it all joy. Abraham did. Think about this. Abraham was tested. Did Abraham believe God? Sure he did. It says in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness' sake. Have you believed God? How do we know that Abraham believed God? First off, the Bible said so. God said so. How do we know in, in a physical application? Because he was tested. He had to offer up his only son, Isaac. Remember that? You say, where is that? Look in James chapter 2. James chapter 2 in verse 23. It says, uh, look in verse 21. Let me back up. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also... Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Here's what he's saying. You can say what you have, but your life proves it out. And here's what Abraham had. He believed God. We know that. But he was tested because God said, Give me now your only begotten son, Isaac, the one you love. And that's what Abraham did. And before for the night fell on Isaac, the Lord said, Stay your hand. I know you love me. How do we know that Abraham was a friend of God and would trust him and obey him and believe him by the way he lived and by what he did? Abraham did that. And that's the way you and I are called to be. We can say that we believe God, but trials come to prove if you really do. Even when you see no way out. You may have in your mind how it's going to end, and you can say, this ain't good. It's all going to fall apart. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know where we're going to turn. But if God says do it, that's what you do, and he'll work it out in the end. Have faith in God. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Without faith, you can't please God. It's not with, with your lips that you please God. People say all manner of things, but when they're put to the test, they do differently than what they said they would do most of the time. People boast and brag about where they stand and what they would do, and they judge other people, and they say, well, bless God if I was in that shape. I would have never chosen that. I would have never done that. And then whenever their family goes through it, it's amazing how their lifestyles change. How many times have I heard as a pastor people say, I never would have dreamed I would have faced this and, uh, and that my family members would have made the decisions that they have. Well, you can't control all of that. But as you look back, well, they said they'd have done one thing, but after they lived through it, they didn't go through it quite the way they said they would or what they thought they would. Boy, I tell you, as the old saying is, there go I, but for the grace of God. You don't know how you'll respond until the pressure is put on you. 
And that's the reason why God allows trials to come, to see what you're going to do. Does God already know? Yes, He does. Do you know? No, you don't. So what He does is He allows trials to come so you'll know what's in you. That's why He says you have need of patience. We all do. But let patience have her perfect work. Patience is not saying, I have been patient and now I'm ready for it to be over. That's not patience. Have you ever sat down in the doctor's office and it take a whole lot longer than you expected and you waste a half a day sitting in there and you think, well, I made a, a reservation, I made an appointment and they should have got me back here by now. It tries your patience, doesn't it? And then you become an impatient patient. I wonder if the doctor does that on purpose to try your patience to see how you'll respond when you get back there. Because if they make you wait long enough, my opinion, but I think if they make you wait long enough, you get so frustrated you forget everything you thought you was going to tell him by the time you got back there and you say, hurry up and get me out of here. I'm already late for my next appointment. And you rush through there like cattle and get on the way. I wonder if they do that on purpose. I don't know. Uh, that was from the book of Craig, chapter 1. That had nothing to do with anything of counting your all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. That has nothing to do with that. All right. So uh, as a Christian in the world, you're going to have tribulations. And uh, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer some persecution in this life. You will. You're going to face it. You can mark it down. It's inevitable. Diverse means various shapes and sizes. We're going to face sorrows in this life. We're going to face making sacrifices. We're going to face separations that we didn't want to make. There are times where I've had to make decisions and part with some companies that I didn't want to and some that I parted with that I was glad to part with. But you're going to face those things in life at times. You're going to face seductions, temptations of the world, of the flesh and of the devil. You're going to face those things in this life. You're not above those things. You're going to go through them right along with others. We ought not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing have happened unto you. You shouldn't shrug your shoulders and say, is this what I get for following God? Oh, our attitude ought to be, thank God this is what I get because now I get to experience a grace that I've never known. I need God now more than ever and I need grace to make it through. And the Lord said, I promise you, I'll give you a grace to make it. That's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. You'll get grace to make it. Trials come uh, to prove where your trust is placed. Who are you trusting? Sometimes our troubles are self-inflicted. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, are we not? Sometimes the decisions we make cause us to go into some hard trials. As the old saying goes, you made your bed, now you got to lay in it. <laughs> I heard this story here recently. It said there was three men, an Irishman, a Mexican, and, a, and an old redneck. And they were all working on a construction crew, and that Irishman opened up his lunchbox as they was on that, uh, that tall building, and uh, uh, that 
they was building up a, a skyscraper. That Irishman opened up his lunchbox and he said, oh, if I get, uh, let me call it to mind again. He said, uh, if I get corned beef again, I'm jumping off of this building. And that Mexican, he opened up his lunchbox and he said, if I get a burrito again, I'm jumping off of this building. And that old redneck opened up his lunchbox and he said, if I get another bologna sandwich, I'm jumping off of this building. And the next day, the Irishman opened up that lunchbox and it was corned beef. And he said, I've had all I can take. And he jumped off the building. And that Mexican opened up his lunchbox. And sure enough, it was bur a burrito. And he said, that's all I can stand. And he jumped off of the building. And that redneck opened up his lunchbox. And it was a bologna sandwich. And he followed suit and he jumped off. And then at the funeral... Well, the widow of that old Irishman, she is a crying and said, if I'd have known he hated corned beef that much, I'd have never given it to him again. And the Mexican, his widow, said, if I'd have known he just wanted a taco, I'd have gladly gave him one. And the old redneck, his wife, she looked at him and said, don't blame me, he made his own sandwich every day. A lot of times the heartache you go through is of your own making. You need to remember that. One of the questions we need to ask sometimes is, am I enduring what I'm enduring because I've allowed this and now I'm suffering through it? It's not always God's fault. It's not always the devil's fault. You see, further on in James, it says, every man, in verse 14, every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. We're our own worst enemy. A lot of times the decisions you have to make is based upon you and your decisions and what you've allowed. And now you've got to suffer through those things. Sometimes it's not that way. But I'd say that the Lord allows you to go through trials so you can see where, where your trust is placed. Second off, your trials are, uh, what they do is they allow you to examine yourself. If you would judge yourself... According to 1 Corinthians 11, you wouldn't be judged. We are easier on ourselves than everybody else. But if we would look at ourselves and we judge ourselves correctly, it would help us to see where we are and what we're going through and our trials. It helps us to see it a whole lot clearer. Scripture say, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. That he, whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. If you would have mercy... Just admit the truth. Ask yourself, has what your actions and your attitudes that you've endured through, have they allowed for these trials to come? Examine yourself. See where you stand. This word for examine has to do with a scrutinizing with a fine tooth comb. Don't make any excuse for yourself. Call it what it is. What is it? that you've allowed into life. God uses your trials sometimes to humble you and to conquer your pride. All of us have a problem with pride. If left to us, we're going to make an excuse every time because pride says, don't go that far. you got to make yourself look good. you got to tell the story in a light that allows you to be above others. See, we all do that. When we retell a story... We tend to put a little twist on it 
to where it favors us and makes others look worse. Why do we do that? By nature, it's pride. Sometimes the Lord allows you to go through things where all you can do is just bow your head and say, it is what it is, let God do whatever He wants to. I can't make an excuse for it. It is what it is. The Scriptures tell us, only by pride cometh contention. Pride goes before destruction. When pride comes, then comes shame. A man's pride shall bring him low. Uh, these things are all found in the book of Proverbs. What pride to do to you. However, we do see the scriptures saying that a humble man, according to James 4, a humble man, a get grace, God will receive that man. He'll resist the proud. He'll give grace to the humble. Sometimes your trials are allowed by God to humble you. The reason is because the Lord wants to walk with you. He wants to be close to you and fellowship, commune with you. The Lord loves you and wants to be closer to you. I'm going to tell you what allows you to get closest to the Lord. Chastening through trials. No chastening seemeth to be joyous at the present, but afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness that we might be partakers of his holiness. The Lord says, I want you to be with me and be close to me. So I'm going to allow this to come in your life so that you'll be closer. If you're going to get help from the throne of grace, if you're going to have your prayers answered, it's going to be by being humble. And we all have a need of humbling. And I believe the trials that we've faced even in the last several months is to put the church back in a, in a position where she'll humble herself and find what she needs at the hand of God. God said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. You see, humility is found in that. If the church is not going to humble herself, if she's not going to turn, then she'll not have God either. There'll be no visible demonstration of the Lord in this land. However, the Lord said, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and they'll seek me, he said, I'll be found to them, I'll heal their land, the Lord said, I'll restore that which the locusts have eaten. I'll give you back what you've lost if you'll turn back to me. But those trials, the reason they come is to humble you. Trials, they also sever your dependence upon worldly things. We trust way too much in worldly things. We love our comforts. We love our luxuries. We love things that make life easier. And oftentimes we trust in those things, but the Lord allows trials to come to sever those ties that you may walk closer to the Lord. I'll tell you what, if the more that you have, the less you'll, you'll trust and depend upon God. That was a problem at Laodicea. They were rich, they were wealthy, they had more than they needed, and they did not 
lean upon the Lord. And therefore they were lukewarm. The Lord said, I would that you were hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, you make me sick. And he said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. That was a problem at Laodicea. And the problem with our generation is we've got so much. We don't need God. We don't even pray for daily bread uh, because we've got a loaf in the cabinet already. We already know where the next meal's coming from. We've got problems in our society because we have got too much. I love luxury. I love, look, I love electricity. I love indoor plumbing. I'm not saying I want to go backward. But what I am saying is our forefathers did everything by hand. They, I, t- I talked to Miss Dortha. I'm not trying to age Miss Dortha at all. But she told me she remembered in school doing her homework by a coal oil lamp. I've never done that. When we broke out the lamps is when we lost electricity, which was pretty regular uh, living uh, in rural Mississippi because when a dove landed on the power line, you lost electricity out there. So <laughs> mom would break out the, the lamp. We've got too much. We depend on too much. How many of you ladies could take care of your hair if you didn't have something that plugged in the wall? How many of you could put on your makeup? Now, I'm going to stand with Brother Paul Raglan right here. Here's what he said. I heard him say it. He said, should women wear makeup? He said, every barn needs a fresh coat of paint every now and then. That's just what he said. Oh, well. We depend too much on worldly stuff. Moses, in Hebrews 11, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. He had everything that this world could offer that made life easier. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Why did he do that? Because he had recompense to the reward. He looked beyond the worldly ties and the easiness of this life. And he said, I'd rather suffer and have a recompense of a reward one day from God's own hand than to have it easy today. And I think we're going to have to go back there as a church. Are we going to have it easy? Or do we want the Lord to guide us through? Do we want it easy? And everybody say that you're doing okay when you're not living in the power of God. I'd say it's better to have less and God's power than to have a whole lot and have a name only and be dead. You'd be better off having less. I don't know, but what? The president we have is not going to make it hard on us before he comes out of office. Fleshly, I don't want that. But spiritually, it may be to our benefit. I don't know. Only the Lord knows those. Trials, I'll quickly just mention these. Trials remind you of your weakness and of God's strength. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He said, Lord, remove it. The Lord said, I can remove it. But if I do, then I'm removing my grace too. But if I leave the thorn... 
then I'll give you an extra measure of grace, and you'll know that my grace is sufficient for you. Paul said, I would rather take my thorn and have God's grace than to have no thorn and no grace. Give me the, give me the thorn, because God's promised grace. You'll find strength there. How much grace do you need today? We need it a lot worse than we realize. But when hardships and trials come, it testifies to us how weak we are in our flesh and how strong God is, and we depend upon Him more. Trials remind us that we're strangers and pilgrims on the earth looking for another city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Don't forget that. Uh, you're a stranger and a pilgrim here. It ought to make you homesick for heaven whenever you face a, a trial. It ought to make you look for a land of rest. I remember the old song that says, O land of rest, for thee I sigh. When will the moment come when I shall lay my armor down and, and forever be at home? But the chorus says, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work. Till Jesus comes, then we'll be gathered home. We don't, you know what God's retirement plan is? Heaven. There is no retirement plan on this side. You can't lay down your faith and say, I've had it in my youth and now I'm taking it easy and I'm living for me. You can't do that with God. There is no retirement home. You are to persevere unto the end because your retirement is the land of rest with Him one day on the other side. Trials remind us that we're to be looking for another land. Paul said, Our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding uh, and eternal weight of glory. Trials reveal who you love. Look here in verse 12, and I'm closing with this. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. Not the one that has them, but the one that endures them. Notice that. For when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Trials are a test of your love. Who do you love? Do you really love the Lord, or do you love you? See, most of the time we say, I love the Lord. But whenever we go through trials, if we grumble and complain, who we really love is us. Because I deserve better than this. I've paid my dues. I have had faith. I have done what God said. Why am I enduring this? Oh no, that's a love of self. But the love to God ought to be, thank the Lord that he allowed this. I want to go through this with grace and for his glory. I want others to see Jesus in me. I don't want to complain. I don't want to murmur or grumble. I want to say that God's still good in the midst of all of it, though I don't understand it, though I don't have the answers. I don't want anybody to hear me say, I wish I was somebody else. I wish I was in control of me because I would treat me better than God treats me. Oh, no, that's, that's wicked. That's, uh, that's less than godly. God is allowing trials to come into your life so that you can see who you love. If you truly love the Lord, then you'll bless his name even in the midst of trials.
Abraham did. He proved he loved God when he was put to the test and he offered up Isaac. Salvation is to be worked out with fear and trembling. Isn't that what it says in Philippians 2? Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. See, salvation is not just a gift that you got and you hoard it all to yourself. What it is is a gift that God's given you. And what happens is after that gift is received, that free gift of salvation by the free gift of God's grace, then once it's received, then what God worked in you then begins to work out of you. If there's never anything being worked out of you, you need to examine if anything's ever been put in you. Trials come to see what's in you, to see who you love. If I have a sponge and I put it in some uh, dishwater, whenever I put the squeeze on it, guess what comes out? Dishwater. If you put the squeeze on a lemon, what comes out? Apple juice? You may tell everybody that it's what's going to happen, but when the squeeze is put on, lemon juice comes out because whatever's inside comes out. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, I remember one time I had a boss man. I will not name him, uh, but I had a boss man, and he was telling me one time as as he and I was going to a job and riding down the road, he said, I was teaching in ja- out of the book of James in Sunday school the other day about the bitter fountain and the sweet. And bitter and sweet don't come out of the same fountain. He said, but what, what I told my class was that, uh, that that doesn't mean you don't say a bad word every now and then, you know, if you hit your finger or something like that. And I listened to him say those kind of things. And here's what I said to him. I said, does bitter and sweet come out of the same fountain? He said, well, James said it doesn't. I said, then wonder why that comes out of your mouth whenever you are put in the squeeze. Because that's what's in there. If you hit your finger and you go to cursing, if things don't go your way and you start grumbling and complaining, then what's really in there? Are we above grumbling and murmuring? None of us are. But we need to have a check in our spirit and say, wait, wait, wait. I don't need to go that route. You remember the old song that says, I'm tempted off to murmur, grumble, and complain? But then I think of Jesus and all he's done for me. And then I cry, O rock of ages, hide thou me. We need to remember that next time we're put in a jam when we're put in a squeeze. If there's a premium placed upon your comforts, which are physical and material, rather than the spiritual, if your premium is placed on your physical comfort, you'll be robbed of your joy when your trials come. Benefits of your trials. I'm going to give them to you quick. Number one, joy. We've already talked of that. Number two, patience. We all have need of patience. Number three, maturity. For he says, let patience have her perfect work. The word perfect there doesn't mean sinless. It means brought to an end, a completion, a maturity. We need to be maturing in the faith. How do you know you're maturing? When you endure a trial. Because when you endure a trial, whatever's inside surfaces. 
and we need to be mature people. It wouldn't look right if we live our entire lives and say that the Lord saved us in our youth and we're still touchy and we wear our feelings on our shoulders and all we know how to do is live less than have faith in God. That's not mature at all. We need to be brought to a maturity level where we can walk with God. We need to be seasoned in the faith. Uh, another reason that trials come in verse 5 is if you lack wisdom. Well, do you lack wisdom? I know I do. So the Bible says, let him ask of God. If a man lacks, let him ask. Do you lack? Then the reason trials come is so that you can see where you lack, so that you can ask and get what you need. Another reason God allows trials to come is so that you can have mercy upon other people. You may not understand why you are going through what you are. I think I mentioned this the other day, uh, last week, to Brother John. I said, I don't know what it's like to endure a house fire and have all of my possessions burned up, but he does because he lived through that. And I, if, if God saw fit for me to endure that, then I would need somebody who's been through that to get underneath me and lift me up and encourage me and say, God will see you through. He did me. He'll see you through. You may not understand why you're going through what you are, but somebody down the road's going to need it. And you need to understand that God wants you to endure these things to bring you to a level of maturity, to where when another goes through that, you can step in and encourage them with a tear in your eye, say, I love you, and God does too. And when I went through this, this is what I saw God do for me and walk them through your trial and how God provided and how he brought you to an understanding of what you currently have today because of what he allowed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're told that we're to comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves have been comforted by the God of all comfort. You see, God has allowed you to go through what you have so that you can receive comfort and then you can pass that comfort along to others. Another reason why trials come is to reveal God's presence and His power to you personally. It's nothing more than words on a page or a story from some preacher or somebody else, uh, but it doesn't have anything for you personally until you live through it. But when you live through it and you experience firsthand God's presence in your life, you can say, I know God is real because he walked with me through this dark valley. I didn't see any other way out, but God made a way, and this is how he did. When I was at the bottom, he gave me a scripture. He allowed me into the holy place. When I was praying, it was more than words. I don't know how to explain it, but somehow I got through, and God gave me an answer. Hey, until you're there, you don't understand it. But if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. When God has allowed you to experience his presence firsthand, oh, me. How long's it been since you've been there? How long's it been since you've seen God's power in your life? 
How long has it been since you've seen God do things that are unthinkable? How long? Last fall, we sold our house in Tennessee. We've owned it since I've been here. And this March made six years I've been filling the pulpit here. That's a long time. I didn't realize that, but time has gotten away. And then I look at the pictures and I think, my goodness, Preston Parker, you were little then. I, boy, I tell you, time has gotten away. Tristan, too. And then Austin, he was 10 when we moved here, and now he's 16. I mean, time don't wait on any of us, does it? I was thinking, we've owned that house all that time. Last fall, we hadn't been able to sell it time and again. We had contracts put on it. It would fall through and all those things. People didn't want it. Uh, there is, the longer it's set, you know how a sitting house does. It goes down, more problems, more money, more fixing. And we thought, what are we going to do? And uh, here's what I did. And my kids can test, attest to this. I got them together in the living room and I prayed that God would do something for their sakes, that they may be able to see that God will do for me what I'm asking him to do because they may not have the confidence that God's real and that he really cares, but I want them to see and know that God does know who we are. He knows that we live at 144 Phillips 302. He knows exactly my name and where I live, and I want them to know that God knows me and that he'll answer me, and I ask God, that he would sell that house and he did it within a few months. Did he do it immediately? No. But they watched the progress. They watched the ups and downs. They watched me having to exercise faith in God. Why did it not sell? I don't know, but what it wasn't for your sakes, you routing bunch. It might have been for you so that you can see. You ask God. You do what you can with what you know to do. You trust God. You stay faithful. You keep asking. And you keep walking with God. And he will bring you through. We don't have the promise of exactly when. But we do have the promise of a reward down the road. Keep being obedient. God will see you through. As I think about staying faithful in the midst of your struggle and your trials, I read of a man whose name was Charles Cheeseborough. That name didn't mean anything to me until I read about what he made. And I think all of you will know exactly what he made because you probably have some in your cabinet at home. This man, Charles Cheeseborough, invented Vaseline. When he invented Vaseline, he wanted to prove his product worked to everybody, but they would not believe him. So what he did to prove his product worked was he burned, scraped, scratched, and cut himself, put Vaseline on it, and proved Vaseline works. He wanted to prove the value of his work and his product. And he went to the extent 
of enduring the scar and the pains himself so that he could show everybody else what he really believed. And in like manner, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, our response to our trials prove what we really believe. And others may not exactly believe it the way you do, but they'll not be able to look at your scars and your wounds and be able to see that God can heal it all. They'll not be able to refute there is healing in that. And that's the same thing that this man went through with his Vaseline product. He did that to himself. People may not believe that Vaseline worked, but they had to look at his wounds and say, well, it worked on you. And others may not be able to say, I believe salvation's real or that God's real or that he really knows you or that he really cares. But when they see what you've gone through, they'll say, I believe it's real to you. A pearl is made from a grain of sand getting into an oyster and irritating it. True value of your trial is really a victory over what's irritating you. What irritates you in life that you can't seem to get through? It's a trial in your life. What's trying to the oyster becomes a pearl. And if your trial is to be a pearl of perfection, then you're going to have to go through a trial. Turn that trial into your opportunity. How do you count your trials? Do you count them with all joy? Or do you count them as a grief? How do you count your trial? Do you triumph in the midst of your troubles? According to this text, that's a test of true faith. Who are you trusting? Who do you love? Where does your strength come from? What do you count as your joy in this life? Is it your trials? Whatever you're facing, God's allowed you to face. God's in control of it. Thank the Lord for those things, and you'll find yourself in a different place than where you first began.